Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and today we'll be starting our conversation about scoliosis. So let me introduce our first set of panelists. The second set will be reserved for episode number two on this condition, which will be released in two weeks. But today, we start with Ruth Werner. She is an educator about massage therapy and pathology, who will help us set the foundation of understanding on a physiological level. She'll talk about what's actually happening on a tissue level with each individual who has this condition. Next, we have Whitney Lowe, our orthopedic massage expert, who has decades of experience in the clinical setting, as well as a treasure trove of CEU classes. He will be followed by Rick Gold, our Eastern medicine and bodywork specialist, who will be giving us his thoughts from his extensive experience working as an Eastern medicine doctor and acupuncturist, as well as a massage educator. He'll be followed by Walt Fritz, who is an evidence-based physical therapist specializing in myofascial release. Last but not least, we will wrap up with Meredith Stevens, who is a Pilates physical therapist and movement expert, as well as being a massage therapist and a trainer for Anatomy Trains. As usual, there's going to be a lot of different opinions and perspectives that will be shared over the course of this and upcoming episodes. I want to be clear that I'm not trying to put any one opinion over the other. I believe that my job is to bring experienced people together and ask them good questions. We have quite a bit to get to today, so let's dive in. I bring you the first panel on scoliosis. All right, and as always, we are going to start with Ruth Werner, who's a massage therapy educator that specializes in pathology for massage therapists. And what she's going to do is she's going to help set up the context for this discussion around the particular condition and kind of lay the groundwork from where all the other conversations can take place. So thank you so much for joining me, Ruth. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Haley. So talk to me about scoliosis. Let's set some uh, foundation for understanding of what this is. Yeah, it's... it's um... It's fascinating. So scoliosis can be several different things. Um, Typically what people will think of is sort of an S-curve in the spine. Um, But it can be an S-curve. It can be a C-curve. And it could be in combination with rotation. And so that's called rotoscoliosis. Um, And... And we don't understand it very well. We don't understand why girls get it more often than boys. What we do see is that it first becomes noticeable typically when an adolescent hits a growth spurt um, and they start growing really fast. And then we begin to watch for and sometimes see um, these quite extreme lateral bends in the spine. And, uh, and, and it's, Typically, I mean, you know, it, the, the, the hope is that treating it early before it gets terribly far advanced is going to lead to a better outcome and a minimum of, um, of negative uh, impact for the rest of a person's life. I listened to a, fa- a really lovely interview with a ballerina who's now 50 or something and has only just recently retired from being a ballet dancer and moved into other kinds of dance, who, who wrote about or who spoke about having been diagnosed with scoliosis when she was a young woman and, and, and beginning her dancing career and, and how impactful that was. It was really amazing. Um, and so it could be treated with a brace. 
if it gets really, if it, if that's not sufficient, then it might need to be treated with the implantation of surgical rods to straighten the spine. And it sounds, it sounds alarming and terrifying. And when I was a young woman, I, I had, I mean, I had nightmares about maybe needing to have this done, which I never did. Um, it's actually not that, it's, it's much less scary to go through than it sounds like. Um, but left untreated, really bad cases of scoliosis, um, which we don't see in the United States because people get treatment, but really bad cases of scoliosis can, can, you know, can lead to people being so distorted and so bent that it affects the ribcage, it affects the expansion of the lungs, it affects the ability for the heart to beat without restriction. Um, and so it can be a life shortening um, condition. If you ever have a chance, there's a, there's a museum in Philadelphia. And the name of it just went out of my head, but it's a whole museum full of anatomical oddities. And your listeners, someone, someone, of your, someone will know what this is. Um, and I have seen pictures from that museum of a couple of spines with scoliosis. And it was just um, uh, really, really advanced deformities. And that, you know, makes an argument for why we interfere with this as, as early as possible. Uh, for most of our clients, they may have some amount of spinal deviation that is not severe and not necessarily contributing to an enormous um, uh, impact on their, on their uh, activities of daily living. But I think, you know, when I write about this, and, and I will cop to not having made this up, I got this from, from someone else who does body work with people who have, who have spinal deviations. Um, I like to make a delineation between a structural problem and a functional one. And a structural problem is what we see with what I was, with what I was describing with the very deformed spines. The structure has changed. The shape of the vertebrae have, has become distorted. Okay. But a functional problem is a situation that's really more soft tissue based, right? So if a person consistently stands with a hip out to one side, or, you know, they're maybe carrying a baby or a heavy thing on their one hip all the time. And so they become, you know, their, their center of gravity gets moved. You know, this can make the spine look distorted, but really it's a soft tissue distortion rather than a hard tissue distortion. And you can imagine that that kind of deviation is gonna be much easier to correct than one where the bones have actually changed their shape. And my feeling is that that's where the role of body work is really to work with um, the whatever soft tissue access we can have with the spinal muscles, um, with maybe increasing people's awareness of their posture and their movement. Um, and that's, you know, that's sort of all I have to say about scoliosis. It's, it's, for most people, it's something that they are, you know, that they are aware that they have, but it may not actually impact their life in a great deal, in a great way. All right. Thank you so much, Ruth. You're welcome. You can find out more about Ruth through her website at ruthwerner.com. You can also read her work in A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology, a book that she wrote, which is now published by Books of Discovery. All right, now we're going to go ahead and turn to Whitney Lowe, who's an orthopedic massage specialist, to talk about his take on our condition of interest today. Thanks for joining us, Whitney. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
So talk to me about scoliosis. Scoliosis is kind of interesting. And um, one of the things that immediately comes to mind about this is a, a discussion that we had in one of these other previous episodes about um, treating conditions versus treating people. Because scoliosis has been sort of pigeonholed for quite some time as a pathological condition that we should try to fix or change. Uh, but a lot of times you can have these kinds of problems that don't necessarily mean that they are pathological or need to be changed. And one of the best illustrations of that, I think, is that there was a story circulating in the news in the last year or two about Usain Bolt, the sprinter who has just you know, set all these world records, Olympic records or whatever. And it came out uh, in some of the discussion that he has a leg length discrepancy and scoliosis. And yet he's been able to find ways to make his body perform at superhuman levels beyond the capacity of what you know, most of any of us can ever dream about. And that really makes you think twice about this idea of needing to fix things in people that we see. So, for example, you know, our, our approach to looking at, let's say, postural disorders, you know, a person has forward head posture or they have scoliosis in this instance. You know, we look at that as, oh, we got to fix that and we got to change that. And I'm not so convinced um, as I used to be that those things have to be changed with people. There's absolutely instances where they may be playing a more significant role in somebody's pain complaint. But there's a lot of instances where, you know, the human body is incredibly capable of adaptation to all sorts of different uh, challenges and stresses. And just because we have an imbalance in one structure one way doesn't necessarily mean it has to be fixed or corrected for that person to live a completely happy, pain-free life. Um, so when it does exist and it does seem to be a part of the problem, and it certainly can be in certain instances, you know, we want to try to make a distinction between is it a true structural scoliosis or is it maybe a functional scoliosis that's being created by muscle tightness versus, you know, genetic bone deformity um, or alignment issues. And that's a, that's a big, important distinction to make. And do you find that that distinction distinction often follows the whether or not the pain is coming from that particular condition? So, like, if it's a person who has uh, a, a scoliosis that's f born from the uh, the their skeleton versus like a muscle um, compensation, is does that affect either how you treat it or in terms of whether it causes discomfort or not? Yeah, I would say it affects how I would approach treating it, um, but I would say that it's inconsistent in terms of determining whether or not it's, it's a part of the pain problem because you can have somebody who's had scoliosis their entire life and never had pain with it, um, and that being a pretty significant structural scoliosis, and another person who's had scoliosis their entire life and has had a tremendous amount of pain with it. Um, so, And it's the same thing would be true with the functional problem. So they can go either way. But I would say it does make some difference in how we approach treating it because a lot of times a, a functional scoliosis will be something that might, let's say, occur because of a leg length discrepancy. And we would then address that. If it's a true leg length discrepancy, they may benefit from a heel lift or something like that that will change the biomechanics to the way it shifts up into the lumbar region and you know correct the lateral pelvic tilt and that will fix the uh, the lateral scoliosis, or it may, might be something that's being produced by the quadratus lumborum, uh, hypertonicity and tightness. And we address that simply with soft tissue work directly on the, the quadratus lumborum. In general, I think 
the principles that we would see in treating a scoliosis would hold true whether it's structural or functional, which is the most significant benefits from soft tissue treatments are going to come from working to reduce hypertonicity on the concave side and try to balance that with um, things that are occurring on the convex side, which is being, in this instance, overstretched to some degree. So there really isn't a, a massage intervention that will, that will address something that's being overstretched, but what you really want to do is to decrease the pulling on what's pulling too 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 much, which is the of course role of of uh, the 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 pulling on the concave side. And do you have a a favorite or your highest efficacy uh, assessment test for whether leg length is true leg length difference or if it is in fact a functional? Yeah, so there's a couple of different things, and I would say sort of a combination of different approaches. So I would like to look at a person in a standing position and see what happens when they're standing upright. How is this impacted or affected by an upright standing position? You know, look at the level of the iliac crest on each side and then compare that with what happens when they are, let's say, supine and no longer in a weight-bearing loaded position does that leg length change? And that may be indicative of, and then you may want to, you know, even take a tape measure and measure the bone lengths from these anatomical landmarks and see, is there a length difference in the bones from side to side, or is this where one group of the lower extremity is being pulled up functionally as opposed to, to structurally? Because no matter what the length of the bones are, that doesn't change if one side is being pulled higher by the quadratus lumborum that's a functional change as opposed to something where you can say, hey, this this from this, you know, greater trochanter or uh, ASIS all the way down to the medial malleolus on one side is definitely significantly longer than the other side. And that's definitely producing a weight-bearing lateral pelvic tilt that then produces the scoliosis. Now, I, I hear you before talking about how it's important not to assume that because someone has scoliosis that that needs to be quote-unquote corrected or fixed or is a problem to be addressed. I'm curious if there's any other uh, things for massage therapists to watch out for with regards to client safety aside from just uh, assuming that the scoliosis needs to be corrected. Yeah, so I'd say any of our common... Um, um, contraindication issues or things where we would be wanting to focus on, like, is there something in particular here that is really exaggerating pain out of proportion to what you suspect it might be? Or are there any positions or movements that are causing pain out of proportion to what they, they should be? Those are some kind of important red flags to be watching for. As we palpate along the spine, are there any particular areas of tenderness or things that might be going on in there? Are there particular motions that we see really severely limited because a lot of times with scoliosis you'll you'll have some degree of vertebral rotation along with the the lateral curvature for example and you might have corresponding limitations in particular ranges or movement that might be associated with that and that can sometimes tell you a little bit more about how this is impairing uh, overall function if there's significant limitations in being able to turn twist rotate bend to the side bend forward bend backward etc in those different motions all right. Thank you so much, Whitney. Okay. You're welcome. You can find out more about Whitney and the work that he's doing at the Academy of Clinical Massage. as www.academyofclinicalmassage.com, where you can learn about this condition and many others. And now we're bringing in Rick Gold, who's our Eastern Massage and Chinese Medicine Specialist, to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Rick. My pleasure, Haley. I look forward to it.
Tell me your thoughts on working with scoliosis or people with scoliosis. That's a that, that's a, one that there's no cure. In my opinion, you know, there's there's um, no cure, but um, usually there's going to be a side that's excess and a side that's deficient, and so you want to try to strengthen the deficient side and reduce or uh, uh, sedate somewhat the the hyper side. Um, the, the deficient side, this is a, where the moxibustion technique would be considered to be used, and the deficient side release, release techniques, and you can treat it locally. The, uh, the spine corresponds to the kidneys and, um, and somewhat to the marrow uh, in Chinese medicine. There's a wonderful point on the outside of the leg, gallbladder 39, which is the influential point of marrow. Um, scoliosis, I think, would fall under the the heading of a birth. I'm gonna use the word birth defect. You know, usually it's 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 not because someone's done something wrong. It's usually um, it manifests on its own, and it usually shows up quickly in children. Um, it's a tough one. Again, I think, and it gets worse over time. Um, exercises. Uh, an exercise program I would highly, highly recommend. Uh, certainly early diagnosis so people can be cognizant of it um, and try to strengthen where they're weak and to try to relax where there's hyper, hyper function. Um, and again, we can use specific points and, and whatnot, but, um, and that would just, you don't even have to know points. You, you're gonna see where the scoliosis is and, and try to uh, uh, ameliorate it or sort of uh, lessen it because, uh, Especially because if you do nothing, it's only going to get worse, because you're going to you're going to compensate for it, or it's going to sh show up. You know, your your work you're just going to compensate for it. It's only going to get worse. So it, it should be approached when a person's young and directly. Yeah. So, and when you said there's a side that's that's got excess and a side that has depletion or needs needs to be built up uh, does that correspond with the curve so what is one is the concave and one is the convex it's going to be pulling towards the excess okay so the the the, the side that is it's it's reaching towards is going to be the excess excess side yeah okay all right yeah. um muscle release techniques like cupping and gua sha and then long you know fanning and effleurage uh streaking down with the elbow um, again, anyone who has scoliosis or parents whose children have scoliosis, address it as early as you can, preferably not with Harrington rods. I've never met anyone that's had rods inserted when they're little and they literally are in a cage when they're seven, eight or 10 or 12 years old that they're happy that that happened. Um, and then they oftentimes are removed when people are older, so you have a second surgery. But um, ideally, pediatricians are looking for this early. Um, it's often missed, <clears throat> maybe less so now. Um, but it's it's important to keep your eye. But I I think this is really an area where your your best hope is to minimize and mitigate problems rather than have any idea that you're going to straighten really straighten someone's spine. I would recommend a yoga teacher or you know yoga approach but you want to have a teacher that's good in restorative yoga because you don't want to exasperate the problem with yoga so i would look for a specialist in yoga that does restorative work 
and is familiar with scoliosis and not just go into a yoga class because you've heard yoga is good for scoliosis. Swimming is a good exercise. You know, there are, there are ways to try to mitigate the problem, but it's, 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 uh, it's tough. All right. Thank you so much, Rick. Certainly. Now that was Rick Gold. You can learn more about any of the Eastern medicine points he was talking about with a simple Google search. And Rick also develops music for meditation. And you can learn more about that music at www.metamindfulnessmusic.com. And his work there is to help facilitate meditation and mindfulness. So now I'm going to bring in Walt Fritz, who will give us his thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist who specializes in evidence-informed myofascial release. Welcome, Walt. Thanks for having me, Haley. So talk to me about working with people who have the condition of scoliosis. All right. Well, this one could take an hour and I could talk for the entire hour. Um, the concept, the diagnosis of scoliosis, um, I want to know where it came from, right? Who diagnosed you with scoliosis? Do you actually have an x-ray that shows you have a spinal curve or curves um, that meet the criteria for scoliosis being 30 degrees or more? Or do you have a spinal curve that somebody says, well, you got scoliosis. That's probably why you're having pain. And I think the second one is more common than the first, right? We, we go to see somebody and they look at us and said, well, we, you've got a scoliosis and you've got back pain. So they correlate those two together when they might have nothing to do with each other. Why do I say that? It's because if you, if you believe the evidence, which I'm a fond believer of, 98.4% of us have a spinal curve to some degree. 2% of us meet the threshold of having it be a scoliosis. But most of us, 98.4% of us, according to a one well-done study back in the 90s, 98.4% have a spinal curve to some degree. But 98.4% of us don't have pain, right? Um, Sometimes we get these messy correlations that people have made. You have back pain or you have pelvis pain or you have this pain or that pain. And they see the scoliosis and they say, it must be due to your scoliosis. Or you take it upon yourself that you know you've got a curve and you blame everything on the scoliosis. Okay. So that's the background of how I look at scoliosis and how um, I try and piece it out a little bit. Um, I think there's, there's a couple of fairly decent um, studies one of them is a case study by a colleague, a PT colleague of mine by the name of Aaron LeBauer, who used a MFR with um, scoliosis and through some, it, it was a fairly well done study, at least a case study, which is the lowest form of acceptable evidence for us, um, that showed that um, an MFR type of engagement, right, the cross-handed stretch that we use for myofascial release, over time, based on x-rays, was shown to be able to reduce the severity of somebody's scoliotic curves before x-rays and after x-rays. Um, you know, if you start looking in the evidence, some of these, there is some evidence to show that massage, manual therapy, et cetera, can have some effect on reducing the curve itself. But most of the time, I'm dealing with the person's dysfunction that they related to that problem. Okay. And if it seems like I'm, I'm sort of mixing things up a little bit, boy, they come in really mixed up when they come in to see us, right? Um, if they think it's their scoliosis, that's their problem. Well, I'm going to be realistic and say, you know what? The evidence says that we may not be able to do a tremendous thing, a, a lot about reducing that curve in a lasting way, but separate that from the problem that you've related to your scoliosis, right? It's almost like I'm going to listen to you when you tell me you have scoliosis, but I'm also going to pay attention to 
what's your problem? What's the functional limitation you came to see me for, right? If you tell me you came in for scoliosis, I want to know well, how does that scoliosis impact you in a negative way? What does that do to diminish your function? That becomes a lot more important to me than the fact that you got scoliosis. Because if you want, I'll show you the study. This is 98.4% of us have a spinal curve. Um, if you think it's important, that's fine. But how does it affect you? Uh, so let, let's get down to how I might treat that person. I'm going to treat them from the perspective of when we do manual hands-on evaluation, can I connect to those symptoms? Meaning with my my myofascial release type of engagement, single hand or cross-handed, et cetera. Can I put my hands on the area of your pelvis or low back or trunk or torso or leg or thorax? Can I put my hand on you and apply a slow static stretch that somehow starts to replicate familiar aspects of that problem you came in to see me for? And whether it's scoliosis, Haley, or low back pain, um, I'm going to treat that person the same way. I'm going to apply a stretch that you just validated from telling me, yeah, whatever you just did, that feels good right there to try and reduce their pain. If in, it, as a secondary effect, it reduces your curve, man, that's wonderful, but it doesn't tend to be my primary goal. So let's do a quick little thought experiment in terms of like, what are some of the uh, the most common symptoms and or functional uh, problems that people come in with and attribute to scoliosis? Like what, what is one of the most common? Well put question, probably low back pain. Um, low back pain. But that's probably the most common. But I tell you, as a clinician who's been doing private practice for so many years, it's it's both fascinating and really, really mind boggling when people start coming in and telling me, well, I have rib pain and that's due to my scoliosis. I have foot pain and that, that my doctor or my other healthcare practitioner says that could be a product of my scoliosis or pelvic pain or sciatica or headaches or fill in the blank, man, because I've gotten head to toe reports from patients who somebody along their path has attributed to their scoliosis. And again, I try and step them away at least to say that, okay, you've got scoliosis that I may not be able to change, but I think I can help you with the symptom you came in with. All right. Thank you, Walt. Sure. So that was Walt Fritz. And if you want to learn more about Walt and his approach or his seminars, you can find more at waltfritz.com. So now I'm going to bring in Meredith Stevens, who will give us her thoughts from the perspective of a physical therapist, structural integrator, and Pilates expert. So welcome, Meredith. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's talk about scoliosis. Okay. So, um, you know, most everybody has some form of curves in their spine, curves and rotations in their spine. A straight spine is, like you'd see in the anatomy books, is, you know, almost never seen. Um, it's just that most of us, the curves and bends that we have in our spine don't reach the level of the diagnosis of scoliosis. So at a minimum, there has to be at least a 10 degree curvature to have a diagnosis of even mild scoliosis. And then the higher the curvature, the more severe the scoliosis is, the more um, changes that are happening not only in the spine and in the vertebrae, um, but in the rib cage, and the more that can impact your function, your breathing, your organ function, and so on. Um, so some things to, to note, um, 
is if you're working with teenagers, uh, if a teenager comes in and they have had that diagnosis of scoliosis, they have gone to their doctor, that maybe they're being monitored. That's a really important um, thing to know and to work with part of the team um, their physician, if they're in with a physical therapist, um, because we have to be very cautious when it comes to movement with teenagers, um, especially adolescents. They are going through a tremendous growth spurt, and that's really when scoliosis can take off. And they're being monitored very closely to see, is that scoliosis taking off? Do we need to uh, institute a bracing program? Um, do we need to get them into physical therapy for very specific exercises? Um, and this is where if you are working movement wise, doing a program of a lot of movement could actually be detrimental to that person, that adolescent who has scoliosis. Um, if they're doing a lot of bending, they could actually be feeding into the curves that are developing. Uh, that kind of bending and twisting motion. So keeping them, working them in a more neutral posture um, and working on postural corrections and doing a lot of isometric work and breathing work um, can help in some cases, not all cases, because some people unfortunately do progress. It's just part of their genetic makeup, but it can help in some cases prevent further progression of the scoliosis curve. So I strongly suggest if you are somebody who does work with adolescents that you are working with part of a team, or if you're the one who's discovering that, hey, there's a curve in the spine, that you refer them back to a physician. So I know you have some extra training with regards to working with scoliosis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. I have um, done the level one training of the Schroth method. Um, of, for scoliosis. It was uh, the Schroth Barcelona School. Um, it is based on the work of Katarina Schroth, who uh, was a German physiotherapist, uh, contemporary of somebody like Florence Kendall, so the middle of last century, and developed this program of exercise to deal with very, very significant scoliosis um, and had amazing results. Um, there's an understanding here, too, that scoliosis, there's many different scoliosis curves. There are three curves and a four curve and a non-three and four and so on. And there's different levels of severity. So how you work with that will vary depending on the scoliosis curve. So it's really good if you are working as a massage therapist um, to partner up with somebody who has this training so that you can work synergistically. So part of the work is to facilitate a more neutral alignment of the spine and work with their breathing to open up those areas that have become concave. You know, you, we all see that prominence of the ribs. That's a convexity. On the other side, we'd see a concavity where the breath isn't going, where the tissue is shortened. So we are actually working with, we work with our breath to help open the spaces. And then we work isometrically to strengthen the spine and the core and um, the musculature in that corrected position. And you can have really profound and powerful results with this corrective method of exercise. Nice. Thank you so much. 
So that was Meredith Stevens. And if you want to learn more about her work, you can check out her website at www.bodyworksds.com. And she teaches Anatomy Trains workshops, which you can find out at the Anatomy Trains website. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. A big thank you to all of my experienced and esteemed panelists. I continue to be honored that they let me poke and prod their minds on these subjects. It wouldn't be possible without them. Please do rate us on iTunes or through whichever podcast app that you listen to us. And feel free to visit us on Facebook and suggest new topics for me to cover in future episodes. Until then, be well.